Welcome, everyone. It's good to have you here on this Wednesday night. Uh, he looks like hell. I think that sums it all up. He looks like hell. That is what Beth Holloway was able to say, standing just feet away from the man who killed her daughter. It's official. He did it. Joran Vandersloot did it. And standing in court, he looked like hell. Why wouldn't he? He's been in a Peruvian prison for killing Stephanie Flores. No picnic there. So here in America, he signs a deal and he finally confesses to the filthy, sick sex crime he committed against Natalie Holloway 18 years ago plus. It's been hard for you. If you're a true crime fan, you have followed that story for almost two decades. Your children were born and they're on their way to college, like mine, during the duration of this story. Beth Holloway has suffered every minute of every hour of every day, week, month, and year of those 18 years. She has suffered. Today ostensibly was her day to say it's over. He's guilty. He did it. He's a sick, twisted, add your noun. Is it really? Do we really believe this filthy piece of you-know-what? Do we really believe this lying, sick, twisted, sex-offending murderer? Do we believe him when he signs a deal that gives him concurrent, I mean, concurrent time with what he's already serving in Peru? Give me a break. Ask anyone among us. He's a double murderer. He should have the death penalty. At the very least, life, no eligibility for parole. But he's going to get out in 2040-something. In 20 years, he's eligible to walk, probably beforehand. And if not, then if he gets out early, he's got to come to America. I mean, I guess he's supposed to call us and tell us. And serve the rest of his 20 years of his concurrent sentence. Filthy pig, Joran Vandersloot. Rapist, murderer, twice over. Beth Holloway got him to admit it. I'm going to read you every single bit of his confession in a couple of minutes from now. I'm going to read it to you so you can hear his disgusting, pathetic words so he could get a deal. He got a deal. That's Joran Vandersloot. The end of the Natalie Holloway saga. The end of Beth Holloway's painful nightmare? Hardly. But at least she got something. The other huge story we've been following is this incredible manhunt for four escaped inmates in Georgia. And tonight, pictures of what they did to get out, what they chiseled. And it's a movie. I mean, if, if someone in Hollywood isn't writing this right now, a la Papillon, a uh, big missed opportunity. They chiseled their way out. They made an opening big enough for an army. And I don't know about you, but chiseling a concrete wall usually makes a lot of noise. And this had to take a long time. So they were making a hell of a racket for a long time before the four of them am sprayed out. And guess what? Looks like they got some help from the outside. The power tools they needed a la Danamora. I'm going to tell you every bit of detail that we have. I'm going to show you the pictures that are purported to be from the inside and the outside of this massive gaping hole that they cut. It's not just a broken window. Give me a break. It is a massive hole they cut in the wall of the second story 
of the jail where they escaped. I mean, it's crazy. And we now all have to worry about them. Yes, we do. And by the way, why was it that none of us even got word eight hours, eight hours after the escape, we finally were told there were four dangerous, including an alleged murderer on the run around our kids, around our families, around our homes and our cars at stoplights. We didn't know for eight hours publicly this had happened. Why is that? So many questions. Were there warnings? Why is it that three weeks before this happened, some guy was seen on video in the blue car breaking through the fence and delivering the tools for the breakout three weeks later? Why didn't we know about that? Why was it even possible that they had power tools after somebody was caught cutting through the fence and bringing in materials to the prison yard? What is going on? I'm going to put all these pieces together for you in just a moment. Let's start, though, with a story. Like I said, my son, my son is heading to college in a matter of months, and I started covering the story pregnant. Natalie Holloway's disappearance. I was pregnant with my son, who's headed off to college. He is now the age of Natalie Holloway when she disappeared back in 2005. It's the most, one of the most infamous murders in the history of the United States. Basically unsolved because Joran Vandersloot is probably one of the most sickening and twisted slime balls in the history of criminals. There he is. That's one of his better pictures, I'll be honest. Today, finally, he stood up in court and admitted, under polygraph too, that he did it. That he killed her. It's all part of a deal. It's all part of a deal. And it's not a deal to admit to murder. It's a deal to admit to extortion charges in the U.S., maximum penalty 20 years, and that's what he got. But it's to be served at the same time concurrently with the murder sentence in Peru that he's already serving, a 28-year sentence. He's got 20 more years on that if he serves the whole thing down there. You, if you are like 30, you were just a kid when this happened. May 30th, 2005, 18-year-old Natalie Holloway disappears on a class trip to Aruba. That guy, don't know why he's smiling took her, killed her on the beach. We never knew. We never knew, but he made up all kinds of stories to anybody who'd listened in the last 18 years, including one where he said to Beth Holloway, Natalie's mom, pay me a quarter mil. I'll tell you where your dead daughter is. Took 25,000 from her and gave bogus information. And that's why he was charged today. And that's what he committed. And that's what he admitted to today. Extortion and wire fraud, but not murder. It was five years later, he slipped through our hands and left Aruba and went to Peru and killed another 21-year-old girl named Stephanie Flores in a hotel room, and they nailed him down in Peru for it. Can I just read for you what this piece of dirt said in his confession? This is his transcript. Brace yourself, because it's ugly, and it's filthy, and it's dirty, and it's uncomfortable, but it is what he finally said about Natalie Holloway, and here it is. Joran Vandersloot says, with a polygraph uh, hooked up to him, talking to his lawyer, she asked to go back to her hotel, but I was just trying to get dropped off a little bit further away from her hotel so we could uh, walk back to her hotel and I might still get a chance to, to be with her. Lawyer Kevin Butler says, okay. Vandersloot continues, that's what I was hoping for. 
Butler says, okay, so what happens? Vandersloot says, um, yeah. And Deepak, that's one of the Kalpo brothers, Deepak drops me off at another place, uh, a little right of the, of the Marriott Hotel known as the Fisherman's Huts. Um, this place uh, is not far from, you know, the next hotel is the Marriott, and the next hotel after that, another Marriott, which is a timeshare. And then it's the Holiday Inn. Um, we walk along the beach. Uh, Butler says, all right, um, did Deepak and Satish, the other Kalpo brother, come with? Uh, what, what, what happens? Vanderslope, no. Nah. Uh, Deepak and Satish leave. They leave. Um, they go back to their home. I assume they go back to their home. Um, they get in their car and they leave. Uh, I'm actually with, uh, I'm actually with uh, Natalie. Hard to say her name, I would assume, after all this. Walking along the beach. Uh, I find a space before we get to the, before we get to the Marriott Hotel, where I lay her down, we lay down together in the sand, and uh, we start kissing each other. I start, I get her to kiss me again. I'm sure there's something missing there. Call me crazy. And we start kissing each other, and uh, I start feeling her up again, and she tells me no. She tells me she doesn't want me to, to feel her up. Uh, I insist. I keep feeling her up either way. Um, and uh, she knees me. Uh, she ends up kneeing me in the crotch. Uh, when she knees me in the crotch, uh, I get up uh, on the beach, and I kick her ex extremely hard in, in the face. Um, yeah, she's laying down uh, unconscious, possibly even, uh, even dead, but definitely unconscious. And um, I see uh, right next to her, there's a, there's a huge cinder block laying on the beach. Can I just pause for a minute? Conveniently, there's a cinder block on the beach. Smell a rat? So do I. Let's continue. Kevin Butler, his lawyer, continues and says, when you say cinder block, um, I'm looking at the walls of this um, place. Is it like those? Vanderslope, exact same cinder blocks. I see uh, a huge cinder block laying on the, on the beach. Uh, I take this and, uh, yeah, I, I smash her head in with it completely. Uh, yeah, her face basically, you know, uh, collapses in. Even though it's dark, I can see her face is collapsed in. Um, afterwards, I don't exactly know uh, what, uh, you know, I'm, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Uh, and I, uh, I decide to take her and uh, uh, to put her in the ocean. So I grab her and I, I half, uh, half pull and half walk with her into the ocean. Um, I, uh, I push her off. Uh, I walk up uh, about to my knees into the ocean and I push her off into, into the, into the, into the sea. Um, and, um, yeah, after that, I, I get out, I, I walk home. I think I want to be sick. That sounds like he's just figuring it out as he goes along, just constructing another story. Just walk in up to my knees and let her go into the ocean in the shallow water. And she's not going to float back. No, no, no. She'll just be, give me a break. According to Beth Holloway, when he gave that confession, he actually passed the lie detector test that he was hooked up to. And she and, and Natalie's dad, Dave, were allowed to watch this. Don't know if it was live. Don't know if it was a tape of it, but they were allowed to watch it. 
She was in court just a couple feet away from him. This is what she had to say. I like this a lot better. This is what Beth had to say. In court, no cameras. For 18 years, you denied killing Natalie, caused indescribable pain to me and my family. The grief extends deep into my soul. Natalie would have been 36, a doctor married with children. You destroyed all of this for my family. You destroyed all of these possibilities when you bludgeoned her to death. You are a killer. And I want you to remember that every time the jail door slams. Now, if that doesn't affect Yoran, maybe this next quote, maybe this next one would get under his filthy skin. I think about the grief your mother and grandmother have experienced. I know it has destroyed their lives as well, knowing they raised a killer. Yoran, I think about what if your daughter were Natalie, because you know what? Yoran has had a kid since being locked up in Peru. Don't ask. What if you were me? And what if your daughter, what if her killer bludgeoned her body, went home and got off on porn, on a porn site? I think about what I would do and what you would do. I would want to kill him. By the way, you look like hell, Yoran. I don't know how you're going to make it. That might have been the most satisfying thing that Beth Holloway was able to say. I want to bring in News Nation's national correspondent, Alex Capriello, he was at the courthouse in Birmingham, Alabama today. Alex, does anybody actually believe any part of what he said in this ridiculous uh, confession? Well, I think that really depends on who you ask. I mean, if you're someone like yourself that's been following this case for a very long time or someone who knows Aruba, many, many people are just not buying it. You poked some very good holes into it, Ashley. I mean, we're talking about knee-deep water that's not very deep at all, very shallow. The fact that he's saying that he just pushed her body out into the ocean and it just drifted away really just isn't all that realistic, not to mention people that have visited this site in Aruba, been on that island, say that those waters are really calm. You know, just recently I watched a documentary about the island of Aruba, and they said that everything that actually floats near that shore just comes right on back to the shore. So the fact of the matter is a lot of people just don't think that this is a very believable story. But going back to it depends on who you ask, let's talk about Beth Holloway. We asked her, do you believe it? And she'll tell you very strongly, yes, I believe it. Uh, you wondered whether or not she watched a recording of uh, Vander Sloat actually making that confession. No, the answer is she watched it live. She wasn't actually sitting at the table with him, but she was able to watch it, I assume, through maybe a one-way mirror, in which case she listened to that story being told. She watched the polygraph test. She talked to the experts. She talked to the FBI. And really, that's good enough for her. She believes this is what happened to her daughter, and that's fine with her. You had a chance to talk to Beth today. She was giving some uh, some limited comments um, after going through this horrible day in court. Talk to me about her demeanor, what she said. Um, I, mean, what, I mean, it's hard to talk to a mother who's lost her daughter 18 years later and feeling as though maybe this is some kind of closure, which really doesn't exist. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, she doesn't like the word closure. She just feels like this is an end, an end to a very long and painful saga that's lasted 18 years. We saw her first out here outside on the courthouse steps, and it was really a celebration. And I would say she carried that energy into our interview when I was able to speak to her one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, really, this is about a victory, a long-awaited victory. For a long time, Vander Sloat was only known as a suspect or a person of interest, and now he's a confessed killer, and that means that she and her family can move on. Here's a portion of our interview that happened earlier today. Even as shocking and, and painful it is, as it is to hear him say that, it was still more torturous for me than not knowing. And I can say that now because I went for 18 years with not knowing to now knowing I see the difference. And as hard and painful as it was, it's better than the last 18 years because it's over now. Her murder has been solved. I think that families that are, you know, have a, a loved one that has been a victim, they, they want to know what happened. I mean, they want to, even how, no matter how painful it is, they want to hear what the perpetrator did, what happened to their loved one. They, they need to know so they can begin to put this to rest. It's over. The never-ending nightmare is over. And for me, it's better than closure. And everybody has their own words that they use. But that is mine. Over, to me, is better than closure. That's my nightmare. And it was a never-ending nightmare. I was never going to get out of the weeds. I was never going to get out of the rabbit holes. But it's over now. It's done. And gosh, Ashley, you've been covering this story for a long time, so you know that Beth Holloway has never shied away from the camera. And so I found that portion of our interview to be particularly interesting when she was talking to all the other families out there who have been victimized, who have a lost loved one, who don't know where they are. Their remains have never been found, just like what Beth has been dealing with forever and still will be, since Natalie's body is likely never to be found. Her message to them was just don't give up, right? Keep pushing forward. Keep talking about it, keeping their spirit alive, and hopefully one day, too, you will also have closure. She's been tireless in helping others these two decades. I mean, God bless her for having the strength to reach out to others and shoulder their pain and help them through their pain. I wish her the best. She is such an incredible woman. Great job, Alex. Thank you for bringing that interview. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Ashley. Alex Capriello reporting live for us tonight with his interview of Beth Holloway. I want to bring in Tim Miller now. Tim is the founder of the search and recovery team, Texas EquiSearch. Tim made nine trips to Aruba to try to find Natalie Holloway. Tim, you and I seem to join each other um, on some kind of story of a missing person every year or two or three. I remember talking to you at length about the search for Natalie. And today we hear this confession in this series of facts. It just sounds like garbage to me. It breaks my heart that this is as good as it can get for Beth, but being that you have been there, you have seen the places where he says he did what he did, what are your thoughts about what he's confessed to? Oh, my, you know what, there's only one thing that I believe that he confessed to today, and that is that he murdered Natalie, and he murdered her there uh, on the island, you know, on, on the beach, and, and I truly believe in that area, area he's talking about Again, yeah, I went there nine times. I know that island pretty well. To find a cement block right there close to where all this happened, I'm not going to buy that. And I'm certainly not going to buy the fact that he went out there and basically three feet of the water, put her body in the water, and, and she just drifted away. And uh, 
you know, we, we actually took a 135-foot boat from New Iberia, Louisiana, all the way to Aruba Beef. And for the reason, as we know, that night Natalie disappeared, that fisherman's hut was broken into and the rope and knife in that big fish trap was stolen. And we always felt as though a strong possibility. Yeah, she's in the water, but in, in that big fish trap that was stolen. And for him to say that he walked home when we, he was actually doing that deep water search, a guy came up to us and, and told us a bunch of stories. And 2.08 in the morning, his dog was barking, and he thought somebody was breaking in his house. He looked outside to see this guy walking down the street, and he was pretty muddy. And a guy, uh, older gentleman, drive up with a a red Jeep and screaming at him, pointing his finger. They went the other end of the road, turned around, went back home. And many, many things, I don't want to go into a lot of detail, many, many things he says was uh, too believable. And then we asked him if if we could fly him to Houston, Texas, give him a polygraph test, because he specifically said it was Paul Vandersloot that picked Bjorn up. Uh, he took the polygraph test, and he flatlined it. Everything he said was true. I actually went back to Aruba, got with Hans Moss, the prosecutor, and gave him a copy of that polygraph test, and I said, Hans, you know, this guy's led the authorities, nobody's talked to him, they won't believe him, and uh, Hans boss told me in no uncertain terms, number one, we're not going to let some damn hot cowboy run this investigation, I'm sure he was talking about me, he said, we don't have any evidence that you haven't had anything to do with anything, and number three, we don't believe in polygraphs tested Aruba, and, uh, and literally through the polygraph tested a trash in front of me but but no i uh i don't believe the cement block story and i certainly don't believe the water story i um i understand uh what beth was saying today just knowing what happened she's known for 18 years yes that you're you're murdered badly so for him to confess i think that that is what she needed to hear uh is there any chance of daily ever being found i don't know i i can predict this i can predict in a very short period of time uh your is going to come up with another story and probably find somebody that's going to give him uh, money again because his whole entire history since this has happened he says different stories uh and, and people paid him for it so and for him to, you know, if he is a true sociopath, true serial killer, well, did he pass the polygraph test? Well, you know, some people pass it when they're uh, some guilty, some people fail it when they're innocent. So, you know, I don't know how much credibility to put into that one, but uh, I was, I think, I was myself personally was uh, pretty disappointed on uh, on how that trial went today. Yeah, I feel very. I have very mixed feelings, Tim. I'm with you. My heart breaks for Beth Holloway, given this garbage that Yoren was serving up to everybody. But at the same time, having a final confession that he killed her and that he disposed of her, maybe that's the best it can be at this point. Tim, thank you for your work. Thank you for being dogged about this case. Thank you for your love and your care and your attention to Beth and her family. And thanks for always just, you know, um, coming on this program and telling us like it is. Thank you for this. Well, thank you so much. Tim Miller joining us. Nine visits to Aruba. Countless witnesses he's spoken with. And there you have it. The end 
of the Natalie Holloway saga. For now, stay tuned. He's supposed to be out in 20 years. And Peru, I can tell you this, the prison where he's serving is one of the most uncomfortable, painful, dangerous places to serve any sentence in the world. That comes from a colleague of mine who was there. So enjoy your time, Yoran. Still to come, newly leaked photos of the window slash, I don't know, giant hole where four inmates just walked through and escaped from a Georgia jail. All four dangerous men, including an alleged killer, still on the run tonight. The manhunt is on. They are fanning out to find them. And we've also learned that just three weeks before the big breakout, somebody else broke through the very same fence line. How is this possible? Are the crimes connected? Did that break in three weeks earlier supply the tools they needed to carve their way out of the walls? Criminals are on the loose, but it doesn't seem there are many dogs or helicopters. What's going on down there in Georgia? Full story next. was going to bring a story to you about an update, you know, to these four escaped prisoners from Georgia, because the people down there are ticked off, mad. They're so angry at the timeline. But I can't do that because I have something even bigger. Two escapee stories, these four and some brand new breaking news about the photograph uh, that we now have, a couple of them actually, that show what they did to the jail wall to get through. And then I have a second escapee story about that Danilo Cavalcante fella from Pennsylvania. Remember, crab walker, parkour, climbs his way out and, and is on the run for like a couple of weeks. I have brand new news about him too. Turns out he was planning this thing for weeks, way ahead of it. And they knew about it. They were talking about this like high risk escape guy. And yet he's able to do that out in the yard. I'm going to tell you all about Cavalcante in a second and who emailed who. Here's a hint, the warden, um, and what that was said. But first, I got to tell you about what those four escapees in Georgia did to get out of that jail. We thought they got out of a damaged window. That was the original story we were told yesterday. They've been on the run now for two full days. At three o'clock this morning, we'll cross into day three. Okay, they're out there somewhere. One of them, one of them is uh, an accused murderer. This is a photo from outside the jail looking up. That's the photo from inside. Look at the size of the hole they chiseled in the wall on the second floor of the jail. That picture, by the way, um, WMAZ got its hands on it. They actually said that the sheriff confirmed to them that they were legitimate photos. Newsation hasn't independently confirmed that yet, but... Uh, it looks pretty darn close to the outside of that jail. And there's this other story that's now kind of crisscrossing in to make perfect sense with this garbage, right? Three weeks before this happened on Monday morning, uh, there's a blue car Dodge Challenger that's seen outside the jail. And there's a, a, a man all dressed in black with a black mask who cuts through that outer perimeter fence and like carries stuff, supplies, things through the fence and into the jail. And it is thought at this point that those might have been the power tools that those four inmates used 
to chisel a massive hole in the wall on the second floor. Maybe there was a damaged window. Okay, but look at the size of that hole. I got questions. It's noisy to do that. It, it's like construction where your neighbors piss you off and you call like <laughs> a complaint. If you're doing this kind of reno in the real world, it's too noisy. So why didn't any guards hear it? How is it possible? Because that didn't happen in a couple minutes. That takes sometimes days to chisel and then walk through. How did this happen? It's insane. How is it that this jail with like 800 plus inmates and apparently that night (laughs) under 10 people were there guarding it, supposed to be over 30. How is it possible that that could happen? How is it possible that the day room was unlocked at night? That's another big security problem. How did all that happen? A little bit of Danilo Cavalcanti just to, you know, wet your whistle a little more. It turns out that that fellow who crab walked out of the Pennsylvania jail and was on the run for two weeks, a corrections officer emailed the warden like eight hours after the crab walkie business and said this. This is juicy. I'm just sending this because I don't want this to come back on us or corrections officer Hernandez in any way. He noted back in July that this inmate was planning an escape. And guess what July was? That inmate's trial where he was found guilty of murder. I want to bring in Virgil Watkins. He is um, the commissioner of the Macon-Bibb County District 8. He's lived in Macon, Georgia his entire life. Mr. Watkins, um, that when I looked at those photos, it, it just looked to me like it was impossible for no one in the, in the jail to, to hear that massive renovation going on. Who's asking those questions and, and who's facing the music on this right now? Yeah, look, we've, we've been frustrated about this for a long time. Um, the sheriff's office has only provided us with one update that I think you guys that, that we've all seen. We're still waiting on more information and and also who's being penalized. Right now, there have been no reports of firings, uh, disciplinary action, anything for that nature. Um, so it's a very frustrating situation down here. I want to get to the status of the manhunt because that's really like happening as we speak. There's still four guys out there who are getting increasingly more desperate as they're out trying to escape for their lives, right? Especially the guy who's up for murder because that could be life. So, but before I get that, the, the, the break in, the break into the jail three weeks prior to these four breaking out, it seems to me that they have a lot more information that some you know, guy clad all in black with a mask brought power tools in. Is that accurate? They, they believe it's actually power tools he brought in. And do they think they were the tools these guys used to get out? Uh, yes, I'm hearing the same thing that you're hearing. Um, like you say, three weeks ago, amazing. It's been a steady buildup of um, incidents at that jail, um, including what you just mentioned, a break in. Uh, we know that contraband was brought into the jail um, the community has been bracing itself on the what's next um, with that because, you know, that's just a crazy situation. Uh, but like I say, it's been a steady buildup. Um, officers have been arrested for placing contraband into the jail. Um, there's within the last 24 months, there's been an officer death, an inmate death. The conditions of that of that jail 
on the inside have been deplorable. Like you said, uh, we found out that there were less than 10 officers uh, on duty in the entire jail. Um, there's some indication that officer, the officer that was on duty for that pod reported hearing a noise. We're hearing the noise, but uh, because he was by himself in that space, he didn't want to enter the space. And it took um, several hours for the SWAT and the rest of the uh, response teams to get there to see what happened. Something else. Um, Virgil Watkins Jr., thank you for being on tonight. Keep us posted if you hear anything more, uh, A, about the search for these four, and B, about how it happened and how maybe it can maybe not happen. Again, thank you for being on tonight. I want to now bring in somebody who knows what life on the run is like. Seth Ferrante was on the run. He was on the U.S. Marshals' top 15 most wanted list for federal drug trafficking. He evaded authorities for two years before being captured. He served two decades in prison. He is now the director of the Amazon film Dope Men, America's First Drug Cartel. Seth, you're a perfect person to ask. Um, apparently, a lot of people in this surrounding community are very upset because they say they're not hearing dogs. They're not seeing helicopters overhead. Uh, they don't see a bunch of search teams. And I'm just curious, like, shouldn't this be a lot more urgent than it feels? Thank you, Ashley. Um, I would say, yeah, it, it, it does seem weird. I mean, do they have staff shortages? Do they have sheriff shortages down there? Do they not have any police officers? They don't have the time to, you know, go and have a manhunt? Yeah, that, that, that does seem strange how you have different reactions in, in, in these different um, locations, but it, it has to be down to, like, the local law enforcement infrastructure or even the, uh, you know, the, the political or, um, you know, whoever the elected officials are. I mean, it has to come down to something like this. So you have to have some type of play in motion or routine, like this is how we react to these situations. Maybe they expect the guys to be caught, so they feel like they don't have to do anything. Well, to that end... There's, I mean, this is pretty amazing because yesterday I saw the reward for these guys was 2000 Today I'm seeing 73000 I don't know if it's a typo, but $73,000 is a lot of money. I don't know if you get uh, that for all four or a portion of it for one of them. But do you think they're traveling together? Do you think they've split up? I mean, you, you, you're an expert on being on the run. Can you be on the run as a, as a quadrumvirate? I mean, I would have split up if, if I was in that group, I would have split up first, you know, opportunity, like, you know, see you guys later. Cause if you split off and you're by yourself, you're going to have more chance of success. I mean, four guys like that are, are going to stick out, you know, and, and like I say, the, the people got to get to the right areas where, where they, where they can blend in if, if they want to have any chance of uh, staying free. And especially I saw that too yesterday. How it said like the reward was like 2000. I was like 2000. That's funny, though. You said it jumped up to 73. So, I mean, there's, there's going to be people looking for these people, you know, that try to get this reward or concerned citizens or, or whatever. So these guys are going to have to be careful. Yeah, but if they're all together, that would be the stupidest move they, they could do. Well, I've heard of dumber stuff, but obviously they were smart enough to get the tools to get out of there. Uh, Seth Ferranti, I'm going to call on you again. Thank you for this tonight. All right. Thank you, Ashley. Anybody with information, by the way, if you know of anything pertaining to this, call the Bibb County Sheriff's Office. Take a picture of your TV right now, 478-751-7500. Takes a village, folks. Takes a whole country sometimes. These guys could be far by now. Coming up, jaw-dropping claims from witnesses that actually we did not even know uh, were out there. And they are claims that that fella, Rex Hewerman, the alleged Long Island serial killer, um, 
may be now connected to two other women. Uh, wow. <laughs> and not only that, claims that his wife might know more than she's letting on. Weird press conference today. Even weirder that a police commissioner was there because it wasn't an official police news conference. I'm going to explain it all in a minute. Something super weird happened today. I'm still kind of trying to get my head around it, so you're going to have to bear with me a little bit. Um, there's a lawyer that we've been paying a lot of attention to late, lately named John Ray because he represents a couple of the uh, victims' family members of the alleged Long Island serial killer. Okay, He held a news conference today, and lawyers will do that a lot. They'll hold news conferences, but rarely will you see a police commissioner join the news conference. That's, that's weird. Police commissioners do press conferences in police buildings or official buildings with official podiums and stuff. But but that didn't happen today. Instead, John Ray did a press conference in which he sort of dropped some big nuggets that he's got two witnesses that are under oath signing affidavits saying that they have connected this man to two more victims of the Gilgo Beach killer. Victim number one, Karen Vergata, and victim number two, Shannon Gilbert. Uh, I'm going to summarize it real quickly because it's super detailed. But the first witness is a 54-year-old woman, says she's a swinger. Uh, she went to a swinger party at Rex's house, she says. At least it was a house in Massapequa Park. Says that she saw Rex and his wife, Aza, there. Uh, on the way to the party, she says she picked up a woman who she thinks is Karen Vergata, one of the dead women uh, found on Gilgo Beach. And as she was leaving that party, that swingers party at what she thinks was Rex's house, she thinks she saw Karen in the window looking scared and then running out of the house naked. So that's the first witness. The second witness this lawyer talked about today was a taxi driver said that uh, taxi driver said she had two encounters with Huerman. Um, and one of those was with Shannon Gilbert. That's another victim on Gilgo Beach. Although She's not been connected to the to the Long Island serial killer, but there's a lot of thought that she might be. This witness under oath, signing an affidavit, um, says, yeah, there's a connection because as a cab driver, she says she picked up this giant guy she thinks was Rex Hewerman at a motel. Uh, she says that, that there was a, a woman who came out with like a droopy eye that was, you know, kind of sort of like characteristic of, of Shannon Gilbert and that... Um, the woman had said that, that the man, the big giant man, had promised to help her with uh, money for her mom and her sisters, but instead gave her an envelope full of cut-up paper. So that's the first encounter. The second one, she went to a bar and says um, this big guy comes out. She thinks it's Rex Hurman, gets in the cab and says, we're going for a long ride in the woods. Need to pick up a girl. Cab driver says, I don't like this. Here's the click of a gun. Man says he's going to kill her. Dispatcher gets involved, man gets out, fires two shots into the woods. It's all very weird. The DA is not happy at all about this press conference today. I want to bring in that lawyer, John Ray. He brought these witnesses to light. He is the attorney for the family of Shen Gilbert. John, I'm still super curious. Um, all these things are so informative, but why not just tell the task force that's working on the Gilgo Beach serial killings? Why this press conference today and why was the police commissioner there? Well, in the same order you've asked the questions, I did tell the task force. 
all of these affidavits, and there's actually four witnesses, not two, uh, and all four of them and, and what they said was reported to the task force uh, and directly through uh, Commissioner Rodney Harrison. Rodney Harrison himself, to check the credibility of one of those witnesses, attended uh, a long uh, meeting with one of them and with me in New York City, where I rented a, a place for us to do this uh, before these were released. The other witness was interviewed by two detectives from the task force with me after I had already, by the way, had already cleared both of these women um, through my method of questioning, where I had spent for each one of them approximately nine hours in in different units uh, testing them and checking their credibility. So this was all turned over, and it was um, a joint decision that that the, the... Police commissioner wanted to hold the press conference with me uh, because I've been involved in these cases since 2011 uh, as the lawyer for the family of Shannon Gilbert and then uh, later on also Jessica Taylor. So uh, everything was done according to Hoyle. The only thing that wasn't done is that we didn't hold the press conference at police headquarters. But Rodney Harrison is a member of the task force. So I don't see anything wrong with what happened. And I see everything right with it because for quite a few years, the police refused to cooperate with me at all. They refused to accept any evidence that I had. Uh, They were extremely hostile and they shut down the investigations at the same time they were hostile to me. But I want to have you back, John, because, you know, I, I, I had so much breaking news with Beth Holloway at the top of the show. I'm sort of running out of time, but I have so many more questions for you. Will you come back on the show? I want to do a deeper dive into this topic and find out what's next, because there's still so much left unsaid. Um, But thank you for doing this today and thank you for coming on. Okay, thank you. Coming back after the break in just one moment. Uh, Don't go anywhere. This is going to sound kind of weird, but sometimes a cop's best friend is a dumb criminal. Case in point, Johnny Yates, wanted in Florida for aggravated battery, among other things. And on Saturday, a tip led the Polk County Sheriff's Department to a home in Lakeland, Florida, and Mr. Johnny Yates took it from there. Uh, He had a great idea. It was this. This is what he wrote (laughs) outside his home. Johnny Yates does not live here. Two explanation points. Um, This is a whiteboard outside the front door, and uh, wonder of wonders, deputies weren't convinced, so they called Johnny Yates out with a loudspeaker. He didn't come out. Then after an hour, they used what they call surrender smoke to force him out, but didn't work. So they brought in the canine. Yes! And the canine went in and sniffed him out right away. He was like in a makeshift chest. So now Johnny's sign is accurate. Johnny Yates doesn't live there anymore. <laughs> you can find him in the Polk County Jail. <laughs> oh, you idiot. <laughs> Cuomo's next. 